is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right, no Brandon, no Dan, just a lowly old Nick in the host seat. Uh, but we have a, another transfer special. We're doing a lot of these during January, and we are very excited uh, to, to cover all of the, the latest news. We know it's moving uh, very quickly out there right now, so we had to bring in a friend of the pod to discuss it all. Uh, welcome back to Adam Newson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I feel we should start with like a disclaimer or something saying at the time of recording, <laughs> just to get that out of the way, given Chelsea's yeah. window so far. Yeah, the, at the time. Okay, so it's Tuesday morning, <laughs> eight thirty, roughly Central Time, US. So that, so that's that. So two thirty, your time, Adam. <laughs> um, you know, things may have changed four or five minutes from now. It may change while we're recording or just right after. We don't know anything. So. Um, we're, we're kind of doing it as we know it this morning. Uh, so look, I mean, there, there's so much going on right now that we're just going to dive right into the action. Mudrick. <laughs> I mean, we, we've, we've had two, two specials out on it already. We talked to Naz on Saturday. Uh, we, we did our player profile with Sam, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, I guess my question and you know, to kind of open this thing up with you, Adam, is what the hell happened? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just crazy. Yeah, I think probably the biggest takeaway for me in all this has been the speed of of how quickly Chelsea got it done. Um, because you know, we know now that it was sort of late Friday night um that, that the sort of Chelsea team decided let's go and do this. And then in by Saturday they were in Turkey and spent the day negotiating uh with Shakhtar very much above board, very open and transparent. Um, and obviously by the end of that day, Chelsea had convinced Shakhtar, convinced Mudrik, and he was on a plane back to the UK, um, undertook his medical on uh, Sunday, um, and then was obviously at Stamford Bridge uh, before kickoff in the Palace game. And I know Chelsea obviously had pretty much made it clear they were signing him anyway, but um, telling him to go and stand at the front of, of the director's box where people could get pictures was uh, was an interesting call. Um, from, you know, what I gather, he was, you know, signed all the contracts at Stamford Bridge. Everything was finalised. And and obviously Chelsea announced him mid-first half, um, which was very weird on their Twitter timeline, uh, to be completely honest. It looked like Kepa makes a save, Chelsea signed Madrid. <laughs> Crystal Palace chance. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one, but, you know, I think Chelsea's uh, actions on social media have, um, have caused quite a stir in the last few days. Um, some yeah. people have, have liked it. Some people haven't. Um, I think I'm probably bridging both camps. I mean, I, I quite enjoyed the almost sort of anarchy of it, of just breaking all the rules when it came to signing a player. Um but you know, I, I it, it was a risk. It was a risk on Chelsea's part because if it had collapsed for whatever reason, then then they would have looked very very silly. But um, but thankfully not. It's all done. Um, Mudrik is a Chelsea player, and um, Arsenal fans don't seem to be particularly happy about that. No, they don't. Uh, we also got some quotes just this morning. I mean, this is this is how fast this is moving. Like we're we're getting quotes and and all sorts of media. Uh, from uh, their CEO, Palkin, saying, from my point of view, 
this is why everyone talked about Arsenal. It's because Arsenal contacted the player almost a month and a half before they contacted us. If you talk about Chelsea, they called me at the end of December and asked if they can contact Mudrik. So, I don't know. Is there maybe just a little bit of, like, better gamesmanship on Chelsea's, you know, behalf here? Because this... This wasn't even on my radar. Like it was so much. The, the stories were all about Arsenal. They were all, you know, he was, uh, you know, thirst trapping Arsenal on his Instagram uh, for for months. I mean, th- this was kind of crazy. And uh, you know, I think the one thing that Dan brought up on our on our Friday special is this is a very American thing. What they're doing, very transparent, very out in the open. We're going to tell you what we're going to do before we're going to do it. And we're still going to do it anyway. Right. Whereas a lot of our previous dealings were a little bit more uh, silent until they happen. Right. Yeah. So I think I think the the shock of this kind of emanated from the fact that this is not business as usual for a elite European football club. Is that kind of how you're understanding it? Yeah, to an extent. Um but let, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, had Arsenal put the money on the table two weeks ago, then, and I'm certain he would have been an Arsenal player. Um, but Arsenal were trying to get the deal that suited them. Um, very clearly, we're trying to do that throughout January. And once you do that, once you get into that position of trying to bend a club to your will, then you leave yourself open to another club coming in who are, are, are more amenable to the term set by the selling club. That is what Chelsea were in this instance. They've given Shakhtar pretty much a structure that they wanted and, and are far happy with. Um, look, Chelsea did, you know, have eyes on Mudrick in the summer. Nothing major. We know the kind of policy Chelsea have now. They're they're looking. I mean, if you're if you're a good player and you're under the age of twenty three, I imagine Chelsea have you on some list somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so they would have known about Mudrick, of course. But look, the, the prevailing wisdom throughout January was eventually he'll, he'll go to Arsenal. Um, as you say, he, he'd made it semi-clear he, he would have liked to go to Arsenal. Um, but if you don't get that deal done, you leave yourself open. And Chelsea were able to convince him, um, as well as obviously going to Shakhtar and agreeing the deal with them, that this was a move that can benefit his career. He signed a very, very long contract, um, which we can probably get into a little bit later as to why these are happening. Um, and it will be very interesting now to see how it plays out for him. Um, he is a very, very high potential player. He has rough edges, um, which I'm sure you discussed with Sam. Um, and now it's on Chelsea and Graham Potter to, to mould him into a star, which everybody believes that he can become. Um, and hopefully in time, you know, that that fee that Chelsea paid you know, let's let's best case scenario here. He stays for the entire length of that contract. It will look like a bargain in in eight and a half years time. Definitely. I mean, let's talk about Ibali and and Win Stanley and Vivell. You know, who you know, this is their first window. We don't even have the full team assembled yet. We still have a couple of, of folks on on gardening leave, right? Yeah. Do you think that? You know, obviously, like you said, this is he's on a list since the summer. The, the new policy is pretty well established that Chelsea are trying to buy young, extremely promising talent at, you know, a price that that may seem inflated at the time. But, you know, as you as you go to 2025, six, seven, like, it's, yeah. you know, inflation of, of player salaries is just 
done this every year, just gone up like crazy. So it'll seem relatively low in those terms. We'll look back on this and laugh. Um, do you do you think that just the speed at which they operated is because they have more of that player scouting recruitment team in place now? And and Iqbali was just simply the one to go close the deal. Is that kind of how you understand it? I think in this, the speed in this instance was more just about shocking Arsenal um, and not giving them time to react partly. Um, I think you also have to consider Chelsea's form in all of this. Um, you know, this isn't a show to discuss. the And, and how good it's been uh, or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like, it's clear that Chelsea needed players. I mean, you, you then hear about Christian Pulisic, of course, going out for two months. Raheem Sterling's injury is... Still a little bit open to to how long he's going to be exactly out, you know. And there's no Amanda Breuer, so suddenly an area of the pitch at Chelsea looked very stocked in, and I mean are going to be very stocked in come the summer. Given, uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen Matt's list of attackers that Chelsea have that he put out on Twitter. Um, but that it was maybe looking a little bit short. Um, so circumstance played its part. The fact that they had to get this done to avoid Arsenal being able to come in and. And had Arsenal matched it all exactly as Chelsea had, and, and it was down to Mudrick, then maybe he makes a different decision. So um, I think the speed in this case was very much, yes, Chelsea had done their due diligence and had put some groundwork in. But then when you get one of the co-owners flying in to, to sort out a deal, I think it's pretty clear that it's one that they are very focused on doing very quickly. And, you know, it basically took them a day to get everything sorted. Let, let's talk about the payment terms, right? It's an eight and a half year deal, obviously, it's really a seven and a half year deal with an option for an extra year, which is so funny at this stage. It's like, <laughs> why stay seven and a half years when you could be free? You know, um, what, obviously this is done because financial fair play is is a consideration right now for Chelsea. Chelsea have yet to get some of the big names off the books that they they want to, regardless of how much they get in a transfer market. They need to get the wages out, and I think. You know, we've we've talked multiple times about this since the summer when we were in Vegas. The wage structure is kind of upside down in Chelsea right now. So in the midst of them having to go buy new players, right, which is, is obviously required for this team to be competitive, they also have to begin to course correct that so the better players are on the bigger wages. Um, just let, let's talk about the the amortization of, of a contract like this, right? I mean, over eight and a half years roughly nets out to you know whatever nine million pounds a year or yep. whatever that's not crazy no that's not crazy and it's manageable um of course chelsea are doing this for seven eight nine players and then that's that figure that you still have to put on the books every year is still quite high but um obviously clearly couldn't top Bowley back themselves to bring in revenue and, and obviously player sales to, to balance that off and what i've always found interesting about balancing the books in football is that you can uh, amortization over the player's contract yeah but when a player sale is a player sale that whole value goes on in one go so it is a way of trading it off quite cleverly it's an interesting strategy this contract length no other top european club has done this or have, have even tried to go down this route we've seen maybe five years with an option or even six years very rarely but to, to do this length of contract for across the board yes people will say they're trying to game ffp but at the same point, if it works, then it may start a trend for other clubs. And if it doesn't work, well, then Chelsea are in a tr tricky position because it, it, there is some risk attached to doing this, of course. Um, 
you sign a player to an eight-year contract and then they go and get injured in their first game or two months down the line and it's a serious injury, then that leaves you in a potentially position where you've got a guy who never lives up to that potential but is on a big contract. Um, there are pros and cons to that from the player's perspective, I think. Um, but it's an interesting one. And I think it does give Chelsea that security going forward that they will be able to keep spending. Um, I'm sure UEFA are looking at Chelsea very carefully because, um, you know, there'll be other clubs who are kicking up at first. I mean, if we've heard already that there are other clubs looking at Chelsea and wondering how they are doing this. Um, but for the moment, I think they're very much focused on bringing in all this young talent, very much front loading the spending of their ownership, essentially getting these players in on long contracts and then maybe reining it in in two years' time. Once you've got the, the the system in place, you've got the squad in place, who are all maybe 23 to 26, you can let that squad grow and maybe just add a couple of players here and there that you that you feel you need to regenerate with. Yeah, I mean, I understand the longer contracts are kind of, I think, giving people pause. Um, it's a very American thing. I, I mean, I, when I tell you that there was just a 10 year baseball contract awarded, <laughs> like, believe me, that I mean, that happens. Right. Obviously, this is where bully sports ownership comes from is is baseball. And so much like that, they're amortizing the cost across a lot of seasons. Right. So a 300 million dollar contract in baseball is only 30 million a year, only 30 million a year in air quotes. You and I would both take that. That would be fine with us. Um, but, you know, it's. It's a little interesting having, I think, our perspective on this one because it's not. This isn't crazy to us. Yeah, I think it's. I think it is so different. We're used to four-year deals, right? And if it's not a four-year deal and it's a five-year deal, or remember, <laughs> Kepa was on a six-year deal and that was crazy at the time, right? But that was the previous ownership group, and I, I don't know. It's not. It's not too wild to me, frankly. No, and and look from a player's perspective. I mean, it gives you instant security for life if you sign one of these contracts. No matter what happens next for you, you are a multimillionaire. And I think people probably do forget that at times, that, you know, footballers love playing football. Of course they do, or the, or the majority do. It's it, But it is a job. And when someone offers you a contract in your job that makes you, A, instantly a millionaire, and B, gives you that security for the rest of your life. It is, I imagine, very difficult to not sign it because nobody knows what comes tomorrow in football. Players' trajectories can change, injuries can happen, and to have that contract, you kind of look at Armando Breuer now, you know, he signed that six-year deal and a month later, or two months later, he's, he's done his ACL. Of course, we all hope he comes back and he's at the same level. And Chelsea will, of course, do their best by him because they have a vested interest in doing that as well. But, you know, if worst case scenario and Amando, for whatever reason, and, you know, this is speculation on my part, doesn't get to the same level, at least he has that security of that contract. Um, so I can see why players sign them. Um, but, uh, yeah, they do come with, you know, risk risk reward for for the owners. The, the interesting one that I saw, and this comes from our friend David Pastor, who, who runs We Ain't Got No History on SB Nation, there's this narrative around Chelsea that they are potentially going to try and curb player power by removing some of you know the the influential group that are there. You know, pick whoever you want in that in that scenario. If you're a fan, I know everyone has their different <laughs> perspectives, but by giving a eight and a half year deal to a player, don't you guarantee that you're going to have player power in a squad if they're if they're there for that long? 
I mean, I, I can see the argument, definitely. Um, I think the, uh, the counter-argument that maybe the ownership group would make is that the wages that they are paying out to these guys aren't astronomical wages. Um, that's something that, you know, I believe they want to do is try and keep the wages across the board fairly similar. They don't want one player earning significantly more than another. It's going to take some time for them to truly realign that across the whole club because, you know, the ownership previously gave out big contracts to players and and you can say that these players deserve them um and we know you know Raheem Sterling came in on a big contract from Man City because Thomas Tuchel felt that you know Raheem was going to be the marquee guy and, and wanted him to be top dog so there's going to be some alignment needed to, to get everything in the situation they want and if a player is signed one of those long-term deals and maybe isn't on money that would be completely outlandish for clubs to match or, or at least top clubs to match it does still give you that option of of moving them on if for whatever reason they don't end up in your plans so yes completely understand the logic of, of that argument and it to say it, it's it's so interesting to see how it's going to work out because no one's done this before so Chelsea are going to be a case study and as I said if it works other clubs will inevitably follow and if it doesn't then that will be a problem for Chelsea to, to sort out five years down the line perhaps right and and the last thing i would say on this on a lot of the deals that chelsea are doing right now they're heavily incentivized right to, to yeah. pay out the max contract i'll give credit to dan again because he brought this up um during our saturday special but if chelsea end up paying the 100 million euros to shakhtar it means that mudrick has done a phenomenal job yes, right that we're right. all it, it's it's a rising tide lifts all boats sort of scenario right so you actually kind of hope that you're paying the max amount because he's performing at such a high level um and, and i think that's maybe lost in this too like it's a 70 million initial outlay from what's been reported 30 million in ad, add-ons i think maybe an additional something in there as well maybe it gets over 100 million but it's it's really not the craziest thing I've ever seen from a contract. It's actually very incentivized, which I was surprised they agreed to. But I think they were just looking for that that number, and we gave them the closest thing that they could get to it. Well, of course, Shakhtar are, are in a very difficult position at the moment as a club, of course, because of, of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They don't have you know fans coming to game. They don't have guaranteed revenue. So for them to get the figure that they wanted is obviously very important to, to the future of the club. And Chelsea incentivizing transfers, you know, that's not that unusual. A lot of bonuses are tied into Chelsea winning Premier Leagues, to winning Champions Leagues. Of course, that's as supporters what we want. We want our club to win uh, the biggest trophies. And, and if if Mudrik does a uh, has a key role in doing that, then you wouldn't mind paying an extra five million or ten million for, for that. Um, and it's the same with the contracts. You know, the, the the starting salary, as I said, they want them similar-ish across the board, and the contracts will be heavily incentivized across across years to to win trophies, to deliver success. And and look, if they do that, they get paid more. The club that they came from gets paid more, and ultimately, Chelsea supporters get to enjoy trophy wins, which is what. Um, well, especially what people on Twitter tell me is the most important thing. Ah, uh, the illustrious Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit here because there, there's other interests out there. We we know that there are other forward players that Chelsea kind of have their eye on between Noni from PSV and 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 Turam from Motion Gladbach. Do you have any other uh, information on whether Chelsea is going to actively pursue one or both of these players in the January window? 
Uh, well, I know Noni Matiuk is, is someone that Chelsea have definitely spoken to PSV about. Um, you know, me and my, my colleague Bobby Vincent have, have been on this. At the moment, they're not making any significant headway. And I know PSV are quite hesitant to sell. They've already sold Cody Gakpo to Liverpool this month. So there is a hesitance for them. Of course, they have a figure, um, which I think is around 40 to 45 million that they would like. If Chelsea get near to that, then then maybe a deal's done. For me, it's not, and you know, for me, that isn't the priority right now, or no. shouldn't be the priority right now. Um, it's a similar to, to, to my feelings on Marcus Turam. Yes, Chelsea could bring him in. Whether they should is another issue. Um, you know, fr- from what I know now, is Chelsea are going to try and get a midfielder in. We'll talk about that more, I'm sure, shortly. But um, but yeah, they've definitely held talks with both players. Um, whether or not they are now going to be hugely impacted by Mudrick, I'm not sure. But um, you know, it's it's not going to be a surprise to hear about Chelsea speaking to players in the coming weeks and and months because they say this is what Chelsea's ownership are doing. This is what the recruitment team are doing. You have different um different people with with different sort of areas of expertise and different you know countries of expertise. From what I've been told, it's Christopher Vavell who's been involved in the Madiuk stuff because. He's a player who was on Leipzig's radar, but then it was Win Stanley who was out doing the Mudrick deal. So there's a lot of different people talking to a lot of different clubs and different players and agents, and and it all does eventually, you know, or well not all does, but some of it comes out through different sources, and and it seems like Chelsea are everywhere, um, which is a good thing maybe, but also potentially a bad thing because it does create a lot of noise around the club. Yeah, yeah, we've we've talked to many of our our journalist friends, and it's just it's just seemed like pure chaos over the last <laughs> couple of weeks um uh, I, I guess last question on the attacker since we're kind of focused here uh, any chances that we get departures in january whether that be Aubameyang or ziash or anyone else i think chelsea would be open to Aubameyang and and potentially ziash i think the problem they're going to face especially with Aubameyang, of course is that he's played for for two clubs this season barcelona would by all accounts like him back um but on a free transfer and a contract that suits them, which, you know, is, is Barcelona in, in this year or this season have, have very much been doing things on their terms, which is up to them. Um, but I can't, I, maybe Chelsea will cut their losses on Aubameyang. To me, that seems somewhat fanciful at this point, um, especially without another sort of forward in the building or what would you maybe call a number nine. Um but I think that you know the other flip side of that is I don't think Graham Potter particularly is enamoured with him in terms of using him. He hasn't started a game I think since November or maybe one start across that. So it's whether or not Chelsea really want to cut that that cord straight away. Ziyech is one who I think again if if the right offers there. Um, but Chelsea are in something of a difficult position because other clubs know that these guys have to be moved on. Um, We'll, we'll we'll touch upon the Champions League squad stuff later, but at the moment Chelsea can't register every single new signing they made, and I don't think they're going to be able to if they if they make a, another one. Um, so Chelsea are in this boat where clubs know that they need to move players on. That obviously doesn't give Chelsea the strongest bargaining position, so it's um, a difficult one for them. But uh, at, at some point Chelsea are going to have to start moving on players because yeah. they have signed. So many and 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 more are coming in the summer. Of course, we know you know and Kunku's already on, on the agenda for that. So yeah, there is going to come a point when Chelsea have to start selling. Yeah, 
No doubt about it. Well, look, we're going to take a, a quick ad break and we will be right back to talk about the midfield and uh, defense and all sorts of other fun stuff as well. Uh, but thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. And we'll be right back. Just a quick reminder, uh, deadlines coming up to sign up for our London trip where hopefully we'll get to see friend of the pod, Adam Newson while we were there, maybe do a little bit of a live show. So uh, if you are interested, head over to our Twitter uh, send us an email, contact at com, and we will get you all settled. But look, Adam, we're going to talk midfield here. This is, for, for me, the most glaring area of weakness, especially with Zakaria now out for what seems like four to six weeks, maybe, depending on how quickly he recovers. Uh, first question, how close is Ingolo Conte to actually being back in the squad? Not that close. Um from speaking to people around the club, it's hoped late February, early May, um, in terms early, of re- early March. I hope. Sorry, yes. Sorry, late February, early March. Well, that's a pretty big gap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes, late February, uh, early March. Um, he's taken his first steps in terms of getting back out on the grass. Graham Potter said last week, which is obviously an important one um, for any player psychologically, just to take that step. Um, but like, there's a lot of work for him and for Chelsea to still do to build him back up to the level that they need him to be at to really come back into first team training. And then, of course, to, to play matches, Chelsea are going to have to they're going to have to ease him back in uh, one way or the other. He's been out for, uh, what would it be, about six months by the time oh, yeah. we get to late February, um, early March. So it's a long time to be sidelined. And we know that N'Golo Kante's body needs to be treated carefully because the last thing anybody associated with Chelsea and, and of course, N'Golo himself will want to come back too quickly and suffer a reoccurrence of, of his injury or suffer a different injury. And with his contract situation, if that was to happen, I, it's a very interesting debate around N'Golo Kante's contract. And I don't think there is a right or wrong answer to it. We know Chelsea are speaking to him and, and there's more hope now that they'll commit him to a, to a new deal, maybe two years. That comes with its own risks, of course, but I can understand the opposite side of it. I can understand this ownership looking at N'Golo Kante and going, if he was to go away and get fit and was to go to a Barcelona or a Real Madrid for a couple of years and you see him get back to that level that you saw in the Champions League run, I can understand them having some pause of thought and going, we would look quite silly if we were allowing N'Golo Kante to walk out the door. So, yeah. It's an interesting point Chelsea are going to reach with Kante. Personally, I probably would have, you know, I probably would have waited until he got back fit to, to have this serious conversation with him. The ownership is, uh, are doing it a little bit differently, which is, of course, their prerogative. Um, but I think all of us just want to see a fit and and and, and back in form and go to Kante because we know how transformative he can be for Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, add that on top of Zakaria. Uh, I mean... Look, I think in mid-October, you could have been forgiven if you were like, is this person ever going to play for Chelsea, yeah. let, al- let alone be an important component as as Chelsea's midfield is, has really struggled this year. I mean, you know, Kovacic, Jorginho, off the boil, Conte, incredibly hurt. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, unfortunately hurt now. Like, the midfield has gone through all sorts of, of hell. Um and it's not aided by the fact that Lewis Hall is not even playing in midfield. He's playing left back now, which is wild. But is the club now considering Zakaria 
differently than they were in, in the fall because it, it it seems like when he's in there, we play better recently. Yeah, I, I don't think they've dramatically changed anything in terms of their thinking yet. Um, of course, he he's only played probably about six or seven matches for Chelsea still. It's not it's not been that many, and it's probably not enough yet to to make them decide either way as to whether they want to take up the option, which is about thirty million. I mean, that is quite a reasonable fee in European football for a player. Um, and if Sakari has an excellent four months or three months when he gets back, then there'll be a lot of arguments to be made as to as to whether or not it's worth taking that up. Um, I, th- you know, I think um, Liam Toomey at the Athletic said said it as you know very well on Twitter. There are players out there Chelsea could buy who are better than Denis Sakaria. But there are also a lot of players who are a lot worse, and Chelsea could do a lot worse. And you can argue maybe have in years past. Um, <laughs> so it, it's going to probably be on on him how he performs during the second half of the season, how Chelsea view that midfield going forward. Of course, Jorginho's contract, if as things stand, looks very much like he is going to leave um, because there hasn't been any significant headway made as as to keeping him. Of course, there's there's reports in the last couple of days about Newcastle wanting uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek. Uh, I've been told personally that that uh, they've sort of sounded out Chelsea over a move for Conor Gallagher, a loan move, which which isn't got them very far so far. Um, so that midfield is going to go through a period of of regeneration in the summer. Um, and Dennis Akara, all he can really do is is perform during the rest of his loan spell. Touch woods, they fit. And then that gives Chelsea a decision to make. Um, as I say, I think they could do a lot worse. I think especially that Manchester City performance at Stamford Bridge, he was excellent. Um, and it does just show you having that profile, if it's Dennis Akara or if it's not, having that profile of a, a very mobile, technically gifted, athletic number number six or, or maybe as an eight, it really does make a difference in this Chelsea team because it isn't something that we've seen a great deal of since probably Nemanja Matic was at the club. Right. Um there, there are also players who don't play for Chelsea that could be really good at Chelsea. Um, <laughs> I, I know you're gonna, you're gonna hate me for going there, but is the Enzo deal dead, Adam? Uh, um, it's not dead, but I would say it's maybe on life support at the moment. Um, Beep. Look, Chelsea, Beep. Chelsea really, but pissed off Benfica for lack of a better term. Um, it's an int- it's a very I found this deal very intriguing because somewhere along the line, Benfica very much got the impression that Chelsea were gonna pay the release clause or something at least close to the release clause. But from Chelsea's side of it, they've well, you know maintained that that no, we were never gonna go up that high. So somewhere along the line, somebody has got confused or has misunderstood something or whatever. And you've had two different camps briefing two different things. Ultimately, Chelsea or sorry, ultimately Benfica are now very annoyed uh, because they feel they've been misled. They have, um, Roger Schmidt's come out quite publicly um, and quite strongly to, to condemn Chelsea, which when a head coach is given licence to do that, um, it's always very sort of indicative of probably where the club stand because if the club didn't want that kind of messaging out there, they wouldn't have, have said to, to go that strong. Um so I think it's very unlikely unless unless Chelsea and Bidelic Bali get in their plane again and just chuck down the release clause and, and at that point it's out of Benfica's hands. But um but yeah, I think it's very difficult to see that happening now this month. Um because of that, 
the knock-on effect is that you're seeing a lot of other names now referenced when it comes to the midfield, right? Caicedo from from Brighton, who who played really well with Ecuador at the World Cup. Uh, the the price tag around him is nuts. I, like I, for especially for what Brighton paid for him over the summer. Um, obviously, he is he is getting new agents tomorrow, <laughs> the 18th, which is just like. Okay, uh, really interesting there. Uh, wh- what do you what do you make of this? Is this just kind of like a flyer that's out there because he worked with Potter at Brighton, or is it something that the club are, are taking really seriously? I mean, it's, it's a player that the club are very much aware of, and I feel they believe can be got. They've obviously done a lot of business with Brighton over the last six months. Um, Could have just bought the club, Adam. Just it may have been cheaper at this rate. Yeah. Um, so they have a good relationship with Brighton. Um, he's a player that Graham Potter obviously likes and has worked with and, and knows well. The fee would be very high, um, naturally, because Brighton don't sell um, at a knockdown price. But again, Chelsea are in a position where people know that they need a midfielder um, and have probably done for about four years. Uh, it's just, They're finally trying to address it. Um, whether or not they can convince Brighton to sell is is the challenge of course um but there's definitely something there um and i know obviously Graham potter would would like to be reunited with him um but it does have a knock-on effect if you spend this money now um rather than in the summer um but you can certainly make the argument that this is the position the position that chelsea should have gone into this window looking to to improve yeah i mean chelsea are going to be paying for the sins of the last four years for for a while, and it's probably going to be a lot of money that they pay because they did not address this when when they had the chance after the Champions League win. Um, other names out there, I've seen Lavia kind of reemerge. Any other names that you're kind of hearing about from a midfield perspective that are potentials for for January? Not overly, to be completely honest. For January, um, Lavia is is a, is a very good player, and obviously we know that Joe Shields is going to be coming in in February, who has been at Southampton, so he'll know him very well but January is very difficult of course to try and get key players out of clubs um, I mean you, you can take Declan Rice as a key example here we know Chelsea of course are still in the race or in the mix with Declan Rice but West Ham aren't going to sell him now um, that's definitely going to be one for the summer and um, maybe the cynical part of me now seals the Arsenal briefing machine after losing out on on Mudrick um, now they're suddenly in, in front of the queue for Rice Um I haven't heard that specifically. I'm not saying it's it's not true. Um, you know, my understanding has always been if if the money's right for West Ham and the options there, that the that, that Rice would be very much keen on coming back to Chelsea. But who knows if Chelsea aren't in the Champions League, maybe things change. But um, but in terms of midfielders for this January, um, no, I've not not heard any specific names as yet. But uh, but I'm sure that there's a list somewhere with with alternatives that Chelsea have. Yeah, I mean, obviously. The Arsenal rumors coming out are not a surprise after everything that went down over the weekend. But you would have to say the player has a say where they go, right? Their agent has to say where they go. Like this, this one, especially I think if you get into March or April and West Ham are still kind of fluttering down near the bottom. If you're Chelsea, don't you kind of do a pre-contract and help? Declan maybe ease himself out of that situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all know that 
the thing with doing that, and, and as you say, I, I think the issue if West Ham were to agree with that and they and they're not safe in the Premier League, the optics of that look really bad. From a, and and it's almost inevitable something like that would come out. Um, it's very hard to keep something like that secret. And the optics of agreeing to sell your captain when you're in the midst of a relegation battle would be awful for West Ham. So I'm not sure that will happen. But there is an expectation come the summer that West Ham are finally going to sell Rice. Clubs are obviously working hard to position themselves because he's seen as a very uh, top-level holding midfield player. <laughs> he, he, by all accounts, would like to stay in London. He wants to play in the Champions League. Can Chelsea offer that to him next season? Mm, probably, probably not. not looking at the things right now. <laughs> nope. Maybe that that does change things, but his 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 allegiance uh, as a boyhood Chelsea supporter, as a kid who's played in the academy, he's got a lot of close friends at Chelsea. You know Mason Mount, um, being you know top top of the list. Um, it has it, always been this feeling that eventually it would happen. Um, if it doesn't, so be it. But uh, but you know I still believe if. if Cards on the table when it was down to, to him and sort of all options being equal. I still feel he'd come back to Chelsea. Yeah, for sure. He's a blue. So we, we want him back desperately. We actually, I would argue he is more important than Enzo is to this, to, to where the team's needs are right now. His abilities are probably better suited for what we need today. Like I think finding an, a true number eight is much easier in the market than finding a true number six. And we have, we have, well, we had one, we let him go and we have one that's, that's on the radar again, that could really do the business for us. Um, I, I guess just to touch, cause I know you, you mentioned Jorginho earlier and I just kind of want to close out the midfield on this. Obviously it's been quiet. It seems like he is already, kind of thinking about his next stop, whether that be going back to Napoli or Barcelona or somewhere like that, is the sense that you're getting that Chelsea's just going to move on and, you know, kind of make that transition easy for for both parties? It seems to be, yeah. Um, Unless something dramatic changes, and it would be quite a dramatic change, I think, at this point. Um, It does seem that Jorginho will will bring an end to his time at Chelsea at the end of the season. and ultimately, I mean, it's. I don't think it's it's the wrong time for him to go. Um, he's had a hugely conflicting Chelsea career. Um, he also had a very very difficult first season um, under Sarri, where he was viewed somewhat harshly as as, as being Sarri's, you know, Sarri's child, basically. Um, yeah. Then he, you know, he kept his place with Frank Lampard, and then obviously you know, under Thomas Tuchel, that that twenty twenty one he had, he's he's never going to have a better year in his career to win the Champions League, to win the the European Championship with Italy, to be at the level that he was at. Um, you, you have to take that as a Chelsea fan and, and just enjoy that, that 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 he he reached that level for whatever reason, you know, fatigue, overplayed, uh, just you know his general age, he, he hasn't been able to maintain that. And look, he's never going to be a physical monster in the Premier League. And there are times when that gets really highlighted and, and that is to Chelsea's detriment. There, I'm sure there are other divisions, you know, he could maybe go to Spain where that is is less um, apparent or, or less um, damaging, I guess, to certain against certain op- opponents. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it's, 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 sometimes there is a good time to say goodbye 
And I think this summer is probably that time for Jorginho. All right. Well, we're going to close out the midfield right there. Uh, back to talk about the defense and uh, and some final notes on the recruitment and medical team. So we'll be right back. Reminder, the newsletter, The Dispatch, is out. I, I wrote this week's edition, so it's incredibly entertaining. Uh, just get stuck in on that. Let me know how I did. But uh, look, defense, obviously, Chelsea have brought in uh, Benoit Badiashiel. This this window, they brought in uh, Wesley Fofana and uh, and uh, K two over the summer, uh, Kukurea as well. But you know, obviously, fulfilling the Reese James size hole in the squad is something that you know, I think all Chelsea fans are looking to because similar to Fofana and similar to N'Golo Conte, all these other players who are injured, there's a full eleven now, which is fantastic. They have their own injury team, which is good. Um, you don't want to rush them back again, right? You you don't want to rush Reese back into the team, have him get injured again, have him be out for another couple months. So, like, my stance has always been this season, like, you have to figure out a player profile that can come in on the cheap who doesn't mind being a backup because he's world-class and he's not going to be moved. But you have to have similar production there. Otherwise, the team just doesn't look as good. And I don't think the long-term solution, Adam, is playing Trev Chalaba right back. I think that's <laughs> that's a little silly. So, I mean, let, let's talk about potentials here, right? I mean, Dion Rankin, he's in the academy already, right? Is, is there a serious possibility that he is able to come in and, and give Chelsea a little bit of extra on that on that right-hand side? I would quite like to see it tried more than anything. Um, I'm surprised, given the the issues Chelsea have had in that position, that there hasn't been at least a cursory look taken at him um, in a game yeah. or, or, you know, in the just off the bench, something to that, just to, just to have a look to maybe feel him out. Um, Phil will probably know the more of the ins and outs than me, but he, I believe, Dion Rankin is out of contract in the summer. We've seen. Chelsea lose talented right backs for phenomenal fees in January. Obviously, Tara Lamptey went went to Brighton after that very good cameo against Arsenal. Maybe there's an element of fear of, of repeating that. Um, but it it's it's a very strange one that Chelsea haven't even tried it, um, considering that they have given Aspi a lot of games when we know, you know, maybe he doesn't have the legs to do it, especially two times a week. Trev Chalaber, as you said, is filled in there. Um We've seen wing wingers players, wing backs earlier in the season in, in James's absence. When you have a, a guy like Ranking who who does fit that wing back profile very, very well, it is a little bit strange um that Chelsea haven't at least tried it out. Um and I'm not sure they're going to because they are looking at that position in January. It's not it's not been top of, of the priorities. Um because it is a hard sell, of course, to any talented right back slash right wing back. You know, come and join us. You can play behind Reese James. Um, and there's not going to be many elite level players or, or even you know high level players who are are going to be keen to make that switch when you know there is such a bona fide starter and, and world class player in front of you. So Chelsea have got you know probably irons in the fire. They they've had a look around. Maybe something opens up later in the window on that front. Maybe not, but. Um, but yeah, the fact that they may have an in-house solution, I haven't tried it, I, I don't quite understand yet. Uh, let's talk about the other names that you mentioned, if if not Dion Rankin. Uh, Denzel Dumfries, probably too expensive for that 
profile backup, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, we've heard Pedro Poro, very similar release clause. Uh, he's with Sporting Lisbon, I believe. Uh, again, he's a starter. He's having a good year. Spurs are interested. So, I mean, simply for the banter, it would be hilarious. <laughs> but uh, is is that kind of a similar situation as well? Yeah, as you say, he's a young player. He's, he's having a very good season, very much a sort of stepping out into to the sort of mainstream season. And when you're doing that, it's, again, it, it, how can you convince a young player like that who is developing and coming along to come to Chelsea and play behind Reese James when there are when you when you know for well there'll almost certainly be other options on the table for you maybe not this month but in in the summer um as I say it's a very hard sell and uh and yeah sometimes it is maybe just easier to to look in, inward rather than outward for for solutions are there any other names that you're hearing about? I mean, I, I, the Jaranovic from Celtic, I've I've seen kind of out there. Is there anyone else that you would kind of put in the consideration set? I mean, Juranovic is 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 one that I think Chelsea have looked at, and uh, I don't think he'd cost the earth um, at all. I would he be a huge upgrade? I guess yes, just because of the situation Chelsea have in that position. So, so maybe that's one that happens down the line. Celtic will obviously really push hard for, for a fee um, because they wouldn't want to lose him. Um, but it's it's a, to say it's a really difficult one. I do think Chelsea will eventually uh, stumble into a situation where they find another right back at some point this January or in the summer. Um, something I've always been you know told to keep in mind whenever the right back conversation came up was was the buyback on um, on Tino Livramento. It's a bit of a tricky situation for him now because he has had his his long-term ACL injury. He's come back, he was training, and now he's had another setback and he's on crutches again. And I think from Chelsea's perspective, to 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 go into that summer market with confidence of bringing Tina back, he needs to have a run of games. He needs a couple of months, two, three months at least, to really prove his fitness. So maybe that just throws a little uh, sort of spanner into everything again and, and sort of throws it in the air. I mean, if he's injured, he'll fit in perfectly here. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's all it's all good. Um, l- let's talk about center backs, right? I mean, I mentioned earlier the names, but uh, obviously, Batty Shield, strong debut. Uh, I think really impressed a lot of folks, especially kind of first match in that sort of emotionally charged uh, environment with, with the tribute to Luca. Um, but we've heard there, there, are, there might be some clear out happening here, right? Obviously... As long as Thiago Silva wants to stay in Chelsea, it's fine by me personally. Uh, I do not uh, sign off on these contract extensions, though. Uh, do you believe that in the current environment, no, you know, potential for no Champions League football next year, looking very likely that Thiago Silva extends his contract at Chelsea? I think we'll get a better read on this in about six weeks because I was told that you know the plan was to sit down with him after the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the January window is maybe taking the focus there, and and contract talks with with all players will probably kickstart again in February. I know Thiago wants to have his future resolved. He doesn't want to go into the last sort of month of the season without knowing what's next for him and his family. Which is is you know as someone with a family, I I'd want the same. Is he going to be up for another season at Chelsea if Chelsea aren't in the Champions League, if Chelsea are in the middle of a rebuild, when I'm sure he'll have plenty of offers to go elsewhere? I'm sure he'll have offers from Brazil. He turns 39 next season. It's going to be it's going to be intriguing to see how he feels more than anything. Because I think, as you say, if, if, if Thiago wants to stay, Chelsea will find a way of renewing him. 
maybe you need to move away from him a little bit as as he gets older because he does force you to play maybe a little bit differently to maybe how you'd ideally want to but his talent and, and you know you, we see it every week his his quality is unquestionable at this point so and his leadership as well i mean he he may not have a grasp of a perfect english but he is a leader on that pitch and that is something that you can argue chelsea haven't enough of at the moment so if he would like to stay i'm sure chelsea will find a way if he decides that's a natural end point for him and, and he wants to see out the last couple of years in his career in Brazil or somebody else, I mean, you can't really begrudge him that because he came sure to win trophies, which he's done at Chelsea. But uh, but maybe Chelsea might need a year to, to get or two to get back to that level. And and he doesn't maybe have that time at uh, his age. Koulibaly, not, not been great. Um, in fact, been much worse than I personally would have thought. Um, is this a cut your losses sort of situation? Do you think over the summer? Uh, it's try and try and cut your losses, perhaps, unless there's a dramatic upturn during the second half of this season. Um, I think Chelsea would be open to to, to doing that because he, I, I I was at his um at his unveiling press conference he did, and he a he seems an absolutely lovely man uh, oh, yeah. first and foremost. Um, but B, he said in that press conference, look, it's going to take me some time here. I think it's going to take me some time to adapt and, and to get used to, to a new club, to the Premier League, a new country. And you kind of, ex- you know, there is that human side of it, which is easy to forget. So you accept it and, and you expect maybe a few difficult performances early on. The concern is that we're now middle of January and, and those difficult performances are almost the norm at this point. Um, I thought he had a really tough game at Fulham. Um, the problem Chelsea are going to face is that he will be turning 32 in the summer. He still has three years left on his contract and he's on big money. Um, and whether or not you can find someone to take him on that money is 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 the challenge. I would probably say no. Um, so it's whether or not Chelsea can find someone to take him, whether or not he's willing to take uh, a paid cut, which you know he may be. Um, so you get to those latter years of your career, and, and playing is probably the most important thing. Um, so yeah, I, I do think this would be one that if if there isn't a dramatic upturn in, in his performances, we get to the summer, and it's it's something Chelsea are looking at um, if they can. What about Asby? I mean, this is he's obviously on a you know entering the last year of his two-year extension this summer like uh, what are your thoughts on on his ability to either stay or go i think he will have the opportunity to go i think clubs in spain really do value him um you know we saw that in the sun with barcelona um i've seen some reports out that real madrid as well would quite like to bring him in as, as a leader um he is a club legend um no one can take that away from him and this is more me speaking as a fan, I guess, than, than a reporter. I don't want to see Aspi's performances continue to decline to the point where you, when you think back on his Chelsea career, you only think of the latter two years when it wasn't great and you feel like he should have left earlier. Um, I was surprised in that respect that, that he was handed a two-year deal when he still had a year. Like he, This season could have been his last on, on his previous contract either way. Um, so... I think again, if if an offer came in, I imagine Chelsea would listen to it. Aspi would would be given carte blanche, I think, to to make a decision. Um, if the offer was there, um, if it comes in, maybe he decides that it is the time to step away. Um, 
maybe not. Um, he's got to say he's got that extra year still, so he has that security if he needs it. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that Levi Colwell is is performing quite well at Brighton uh, changes changes the calculus in the in the back for sure. Uh, great. I mean, that was that was. It felt incredibly obvious that that's, this was going to happen with Levi Colwell. Um, I've always felt watching him in his academy days. I've always described him as just solid. There's just it's, it, and everything to his game is just very solid, very reliable. You know what you're getting. And yes, it's taken him a bit of time at Brighton. It took him a bit of time to get into the team. He needed a, a break uh, in terms of someone getting injured to step in. But now that he's in, it, it's no surprise to me that he is looking an absolute Rolls Royce of a centre back. And uh, and someone Chelsea should have probably kept around this season because I do think he he could have done a, a very good job for Chelsea called upon if called upon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, built for tough, as we'd say here in the states uh, on Levi. More to come on him. We'll be doing plenty of profiling of him. But I guess final note here uh, is just around recruitment and medical team. You, you mentioned that Chelsea have a couple of, of the recruitment team that are still on guarding leave until February. Can you maybe update the the progress there? Yeah, so Lawrence Stewart and, and Joe Shields are basically on, on gardening leave from Monaco and uh, Southampton, respectively. They're expected to begin at, at Chelsea next month. And then you'll have the sort of four core recruitment team members in the building um, with with Winston and Ravel um, and, and Joe Shields and, uh, and Lawrence Stewart. Um, and then I imagine work will begin for them to really plan for the summer window. Um, there's a lot of different voices in there. I, I'm really fascinated to see how it works because I'm still not sure that, that, that the Chelsea won't do this down the line, maybe bring in someone to head everything up um, at some stage because they say there's going to be a lot of voices. There's going to be a lot of people who who want their opinions heard and, and that's understandable. Um, but you do need a someone having a final say in all of this. Um, and maybe that comes down the line. Um, but yeah, from from next month, definitely the, these four guys will be in, and, and they'll begin planning for for Chelsea summer and and beyond because we know the ownership have has very big plans with multi club multi club ownership and um, and you know directing players through different clubs to 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 best serve their development. And on the final note here, obviously the medical team under tremendous scrutiny right now. There's a review happening. There was uh, some departures this summer. Um, can you update? anything on that front or is this still the wild west <laughs> i will leave it i asked graham potter after fulham specifically about this actually and i said to him that uh, i slightly went a bit unprofessional because i said it's getting a bit ridiculous now graham what is going on and he sort of said we are looking we are looking and i said okay what have you found and he <laughs> said, well, not much to be completely honest with you at the moment so they are undertaking reviews. They are they are looking at it, of course, because you cannot have a whole team of players out injured and not go. Eh, maybe maybe this is something we should look into, guys. Um, I do wonder, and and again, this is more speculation on my part. If there is some regret now on on the ownership's part to let key people go without having sort of very very clear people to bring in in, in place, because you know as has been made clear in, in articles by Matt and and Nizar, these are guys that people trusted with their fitness, with players trusted with their fitness that, that, that they were familiar with, who knew their bodies, who knew how to best maximise their bodies. And and this is to say Chelsea's injury record last season was outstanding because it certainly wasn't. But you take that away and it maybe just brings in an element of unpredictability, a bit less sort of security in terms of how people feel. Um, 
so I say I do wonder maybe if there was a a slight feeling of being a little bit hasty on that front, but uh, but we know that the that, that Bowley and Clear Lake have big ambitions for Chelsea and, and they want to try and do a lot of things and get the club to the level they want to be at. Indeed. Uh, yeah, just incredibly frustrating on that front for sure. But look, we're going to end it there. Obviously, Adam, appreciate all of your time and insight as we go through what is just an insane January <laughs> transfer window, an insane January period for, for Chelsea Football Club. Uh, where where can our fine folks find you if they're if they're listening for the first time? Uh, just stick Adam Newson into Google and it'll come up with Twitter <laughs> and Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, do do come along and, and follow me if if you feel like you want to. I'm never going to force anyone to. Well, you should. I'll I'll put that out there <laughs> for you. Um, all right, friend. We will talk to you soon. Be good. Take care, man. Thank you. All right, Chelsea fans. You know what to do. Until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.